welcome once again to a fresh edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Nunes, and with me today is Lawrence Edmonds. And Lawrence, we've missed you. I've just been rocking it out with Nate, but you've been good, haven't you? I've been pretty good, uh, and yeah, I've been quite busy as well. I had a chat with Roman Grosjean last week, so that will uh, form the main part of this podcast. I'm sure that's what people are looking forward to here. Uh, but yeah, it's been uh, it's not been too bad. I've been taking a little bit of rest time, knowing that coming up is... Uh, a very busy period of racing, which I really can't wait for. Rest time, what's that? But anyways, we'll get to that another day because I'm absolutely buzzing for finally getting to see some action. I know we spoke about Nate that with Nate about that last week in the podcast. I also teased that we're going to have a double helping of House. Of course, he spoke to Gunther Steiner last week. And you, as you said, spoke to Romain Grosjean this week. Cannot wait to that. But first, let's get some news out of the way. Um I mean, it's been obviously an interest time, interesting time with the coronavirus pandemic, but even more so with, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. And we've seen just how all the sports have sort of come together to try and take a stand in this. And someone who's constantly been a pioneer, just not just for Black Lives Matter, but just equality on a whole is Lewis Hamilton. And he's always been vocal before this, even more so now. And it's sort of at least prompted Formula One to, to do more. And now we know that there's going to be an initiative um, starting with the doubleheader race weekend in Austria. So just thoughts on that, um, Lawrence, what you think? Well, I think at the centre of the We Race was, was one campaign is the fact that the world has changed dramatically since Formula One was last on track, even in testing earlier this year. Um, and there's a number of uh, issues in the world that F1 felt they needed to draw attention to and, um, and in some cases uh, promote solutions for. Uh, and I think, uh, first of all, this campaign started off as a plan to thank health workers around the world. But in recent weeks, it's become increasingly clear that Formula One has to make a stand on racism as well. Um, whilst racism maybe hasn't been overt in Formula One in the last few years, um, it has existed. And uh, it's important that Formula One makes clear that there's absolutely no place for racism in its sport um, or society. And with its uh, position, I, I think it has, has the ability to do that. So we've had the We Racers One uh, campaign launched. Uh, the teams will carry uh, some of the logos on the cars. We know that much, but I think there's, or at least I hope there's more in store uh, for Austria where we're going to see some uh, so, some major stands being taken. Uh, not least, I think um, drivers will have the ability or will have an opportunity at some point ahead of the race uh, to take a knee and to um, m- make that standpoint, which we've seen in football and it's been quite powerful there and I think uh, Formula 1 and I certainly hope the drivers in Formula 1 will want to unite to do that because with its international appeal Formula 1 really has to show to the world that um, that there's no place for racism in Formula 1 there's no place for racism in sport and really there's no place at all for racism anywhere in society and I spoke um, to Nate about this just when the news broke a little earlier this week and I had asked him how significant does he think you know, this is, or how significant is it for Formula One? Because as you said, you know, Lewis has kind of been the pioneer for this and he's always been very, very vocal about it. And sometimes, you know, you see why he has felt so alone, you know, in, in, in this fight, especially in the sport. So now that you're seeing it, is this the first time that you've literally felt the sport come together like this for this specific cause? And do you think that this is finally something that will stick and, and continue and it's not just going to be Lewis all over again fighting alone? I think Lewis has done a fantastic job and I think uh, he will continue to do so. You see that through his social media, through uh, the Hamilton Commission that he set up. 
Um, but Formula One ne- needs to give him a platform as well to uh, to spread his voice and to, to spread his message. And I think that's uh, that's exactly what they're doing because it's become clear in wider society that it's not enough just to not like racism. It's not enough just to be anti-racist and sit on the sidelines. We all need to um, stand up against systemic racism, be it in Formula One, uh, uh, be it in motorsport, but, uh, you know, of course, in society on, on a wider level. So I think um, that's, that's been key. And the, the other thing about this is that uh, this We Racers One campaign, um, really what we'll see is, is in the future is, is, is what's going to determine its success. Um, it's very hard to say at this stage uh, whether this is the start of something new and whether F1 will be able to follow through on it properly. But um, what we'll see long term is, is whether F1 changes some of its policies about certain things and, and whether we can really see uh, a mixture, more diversity um, of people from different backgrounds in Formula One. And I guess that's something that will take time, but it's something that we will see long term. So um, that's the hope and uh, it's got to start somewhere. And I feel that uh, this campaign is, is, is hopefully the start of something very big and it's something that Formula One uh, will have to uh, address internally as well. We'll have to look at it, look at itself, um, put a mirror up to maybe some of the places uh, that it's going racing in and uh, some of the places it takes money from and decide whether um, what this sport wants to stand for and, uh, and, and what it wants to be going forward. But um, the true reflection of how successful it is will hopefully come in a few years when, when we see more diversity in the paddock uh, because at the moment that is certainly lacking. Definitely. I suppose it'll be definitely interesting to see exactly what um, Formula One has planned when that race weekend comes and, you know, especially see what the drivers have to do because we know Lewis has definitely been very vocal about them getting involved and actually making a stand and actively taking a stand. But speaking of drivers, you got to speak to Romain Grosjean earlier this week. What was what was that like? Quick overview before we give away the full interview because, you know, we want everyone to tune into that. Yeah, Roman's an interesting character. Um, he's got quite an interesting story to tell and that's really what tried to focus on in, in in this podcast was looking back at his career maybe what could have been i know uh he has a reputation um partly driven by things like drive to survive partly driven by people on social media uh and also partly driven by his own mistakes on track uh that means that he's maybe not that highly rated but uh, it's been interesting to go back with him and, and look back at his career but it's also keen to see what he plans for the future there's a drive still on the table at Renault and whether he could be a candidate for that. So that forms the basis of our discussion. Perfect. All right. Well, let's get to it. Here's Lawrence's chat with Roman Grosjean. Hi, Roman. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the SVNF1 podcast. Good to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Um, so lockdown, how has it been for you? It feels like we're getting towards the end, which is uh, which is a wonderful thing. But uh, I've seen you've been doing a bit of kite surfing. You've set up an esports team. Uh, you've been cleaning your Ford Mustang, you've been doing all sorts of things, but you've also been homeschooling two boys. So how's it been for you uh, over there in France? Yeah, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been a tough time for everyone. Uh, we're not, we're not prepared to live like this, uh, but it's also been a good time spending a lot of time with my three kids, my three children and uh, cleaning the house, cleaning the cars, doing things that we normally don't really have the time to do. And, and yeah, creating uh, IAG sports, which has been, um, fair amount of work but good fun and uh, so far the team is doing really good so uh, yeah I mean it, it's a different time um, but uh, I must say I miss racing quite badly. Well this is it there seems to be two perspectives on lockdown there's people who have had this whole new world opened up to them where they think actually staying at home with the family is pretty nice and then there's other people who just can't wait to get back 
to um, you know to racing or to whatever they do in their normal life. So, so, so which side are you on? Uh, I think you know it was it was great to be home and um, maybe gives you a, an idea of what retirement could be. But also, I'm not pretty sure that I'm not ready to, ready to retire right now. So uh, yeah, I think I'm ready to go back to racing, ready to uh, to get that adrenaline and that feeling from from the races that uh, obviously I've been missing a lot for the last few months. I guess racing now it's only about a couple of weeks away. So uh, how do you prepare yourself mentally? How do you prepare yourself physically? Does anything change in these two weeks to uh, to make sure you're really on on form when you get back on track? Uh, well, no, I think physical training has been on all the time. Uh, it's actually been quite good in terms of being able to do having a really good routine like you do in the winter. But obviously, it's been a longer winter break. Um, mentally, yes, we need to make sure that we are fully ready to go racing uh, when it resumes. It would be eight races in 10 weeks. It will be quite demanding and challenging. Um, so we need to make sure that we are at the top level when we get there. But um, yeah, I think we, uh, we're ready. I think, uh, you know, um, we've been spending a lot of time home. It's been great. Uh, it's been a nice um, experience. And also you feel fresh to go racing. Um, so some of the other drivers have had a chance to get actually out in a car. So Mercedes have been out. Renault are going to go out on uh, on track. Ferrari are planning, I think, racing point two. Am I right in saying that Haas aren't, aren't going to be able to do that in time? And, and will that make a big difference to, to when you get back out racing? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't think Haas will, uh, will go out on track. Um, I think the, the structure and the resources are a little bit um, small, but um, I don't think it will make a huge difference. Uh, you know, when we come back after winter break and we jump in the car, we're normally quite uh, okay. Uh, obviously, the neck is going to be having a, an hard time over the first few races, but uh, you train as much as you can back home. I'm not worried about seeing others going back on track. I think, uh, yeah, um, you know, we're going to go to Austria. I've got three hours of free practice on Friday, and um, things should uh, should run quite smoothly. So I'm hoping we, uh, we're going to have a good car there. I'm hoping we're going to nail, nail the setup. So obviously we come from, you know, a few months of not racing and, and only a limited amount of testing in winter testing with with the colder conditions. So let's see what it brings in in Spielberg. But um, no, I think we're ready. Because twenty twenty feels like it should be a really important season for both Haas and yourself. I mean, Haas didn't have the season they wanted last year. Uh, you didn't have a great season in twenty eighteen. You said that a few times. So. How frustrating has it been waiting to get this 2020 season underway so you can both show uh, what you've got this year? It's been all right, actually. I think the most important is that it starts and uh, it will start in a few weeks' time. And uh, I think, you know, since I'm in Formula 1, every season has been important. Some has been better than others. Um, obviously, you depend a lot on the car that you have and that makes a huge difference. Um, but, yeah, I think we... I'm ready. Uh, I think Haas is ready. I think uh, Haas has learned from from last year, uh, from everything we we've done and we've changed. And uh, I think I'm on, I'm in a good place to start the season and and go racing. Now, a lot of people's kind of view of the Haas F1 team is based on what they've seen on Netflix. And uh, from last year's episode, there seemed to be a lot of tension, quite a bit of bad language, uh, even conflict in the team. Is that a fair representative representation of Haas, or is it quite different when you're living it? No, I think it's it's fairly different when you're living it. It's a great team, it's a great atmosphere, and uh, no politics, straightforward talking, um, which is surprising sometimes in Formula One. I think yeah, Netflix showed the tough time that we had, uh, but also 
I think what wasn't shown is the hard work that was put in by everyone and the fact that we always stick together and always try the best we could, even if we knew it wasn't going to be wonders. So, I mean, I, I liked, uh, don't get me wrong, I liked the, the Netflix Drive to Survive Season 2. I think it's it's really good for Formula 1. And I mentioned a few times that I would like to have more camera from Netflix so they can, they can cover more garages during the event. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you only have 10 episodes, you need to choose what you want to show for every team. And, and the dramatic aspect is the good one for us. And yeah, I think it shows that you and Gunter actually have quite a good relationship. There were some nice moments there where we saw the two of you talking very honestly, like you said. Um, is that unusual for a team principal to be that honest with you and sometimes, you know, that close? Or is that something that you've experienced throughout your career? No, I think it's, you know, every everyone is different and, and I've been living through different... Uh, Past my career, in my career, I have I have found team principal that were as straightforward as, as Gunter, and uh, that's the one I've preferred. I've also have had different experiences where, yeah, you you were told you were in the car for the year after, and you were not anymore. Um, but uh, generally, I think I was lucky to meet some good people in my career, and uh, I think yeah, the straightforward languages and, and mention what you have on your mind is important and uh, helps to move forward quickly. What, what do you think is next for Haas? Because you guys hit such highs uh, so early on, and then there's the reality of what it's like to be a racing team in the midfield that we saw last year. So do you think that last year was a blip? Do you think it's, it's going to come back much stronger in the coming years? I hope so. I mean, that's what we all hope for. Uh, I mean, the midfield looks very competitive and, and very tight this year. So we may, we may see some swap of performance track to track. But uh, I think Haas has got some, some really good um, foundation and, and, and a great relationship with Ferrari. So I believe the team is in a, is in a good position. Uh, obviously, if you don't manufacture things in, in-house, then obviously it can take a little bit more time sometimes to get updates and so on. But um, I think generally the, the whole work around Haas and the way it's been built is very clever. And uh, I think the team can still be very successful. Now, I don't know how much uh, watching of YouTube you've been doing, but um, F1 showed the Valencia 2012 race the other day. And it reminded me how close you were there. I think it's an alternator failure that finally took you out. But everyone remembers it as Fernando Alonso's great win in Spain. But the reality is where you were at that point in the race, there was a chance of a, of a victory there. Have you had a chance to reflect on any moments in your career during this break? Yeah, a little bit, I must say. And yes, there are there are three Grand Prix that I should have won. Uh, Valencia 2012 was one. I think, to me, the worst one was um, Germany 2013, where I was comfortably going to win the race without the safety car. The rule was not quite the same for the Delta time, so Sebastian Vettel had a free pit stop. But that was that was a race win for me, for sure. And uh, yeah, another one I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I say, you know, it depends the car that uh, you have under you, your hands. I don't think I'm driving differently from, or maybe I'm driving differently from 2012 in, in some aspects, but I don't think I've lost the speed. So it really depends if the car suits you or not. Uh, if it goes with your driving style, you know, uh, as I say, Formula One is a, is a wonderful um, category, uh, but uh, as a sport, you don't really play with the same tools as the, the others which is the most frustrating part. And uh, and I can understand that sometimes you ask yourself, should I carry on or should I go somewhere well, somewhere else where I get a chance to win? Because, you know, my last win was in GP2 in 2011. 
And as I mentioned a few times, I was close to it. I was on the podium many times, uh, but um, but never won a race. And uh, yeah, I mean, it may I may end up my career with no win, and that would be a bit of a regret. But also, I know that uh, you know every time I had a chance, I I tried, and uh, it wasn't my fault if it didn't work. Do you think if one of those wins had come off, it would have completely changed the trajectory of your career, or do you think the way things happened were just destiny, and that was that was always the way it was going to come together? I don't know. I think the stars were ne- never really aligned. I think to me, the, the biggest issue I had was 2013, the first few races of the season. We had the, a curse issue mapping in the car that was, that was wrong. And Kimi won Australia and then he finished second in China and then he third in Bahrain. He was very competitive and I was not as competitive as him. And then eventually we find, and then, yeah, and then Spain, I broke the race suspension, not my fault. And then Silverstone, the front wing went. So everything went wrong, and then Kimi signed at Ferrari, and I stayed at Lotus, uh, which I didn't mind at the time. But then, obviously, 2014 came, and, and the car was—I uh, mean, not not only ugly, but uh, not very competitive. Um, so, sadly, it didn't work out. Uh, but you know, you never know what's the future like. You never know. You know, the, the new rules have been postponed, and that's uh, that's a bit of a shame in one way because we were all looking forward to them but the necessity and, and the right call on the other way because of the financial situation. So let's see if I'm sticking around until the new rules and uh, who knows, you know, we may, we may talk again and I'll tell you, I've won my first race. Yeah, well, I, I certainly hope so. Um, but the thing is, you've had some great teammates. You mentioned Kimi there. You've been up against Fernando Alonso as well. You've been up some in, against some incredibly quick guys. Like, I mean, Pastor, you know, lots of people don't remember him so well, but he won a race. He was incredibly quick as well. So do you, do you have a feeling of where you stand in the grid in, term, in terms of how quick you are? Because it's always this great question of who's the best driver out there. We never know because of the equipment. Do you have a feeling of, of where you stand? I mean, for the last 30 years, I believe you will never know who was the best driver of the year. Maybe beforehand, things were a little bit different. Um, but for the last 30 years, I think it's been car dominating. Um, but uh, yeah, I've had some really quick drivers. I mean, only my, my result in my career can talk for me. You know, I was racing in Formula 3 against Kobay Kobayashi, uh, Kamui Kobayashi and Nico Hülkenberg in the same team, and I won the championship. Then I won the Formula 2. I uh, was leading it. Then I won Formula 1. I came back. I won again. Um, you know, I think uh, I've won Formula 1 also. I've won pretty much everything I've competed in, and uh, except Formula 1, <laughs> which, is, yeah. which is the one you want. But... Uh, you know, I think, again, it depends on the car that you have, the opportunities and the chance. But um, never say never, you know. I, I always dream that the, the day could come and uh, a lot of people could laugh about it. I understand. Uh, but if I lose that dream, then I lose the fact that I want to be in Formula 1 and I go somewhere else. So for me, it's important to uh, carry on and to think that, um, you know, my day could come one day and that I'm ready for it. and I'll work as hard as I can and, and as best as I can to achieve that. So there's already been um, a number of movements in the driver market this year. So those kind of opportunities are already starting to fall into place for the following year. Were you surprised by any of uh, of those moves and how early they came? And you also know Seb quite well. So, so were you surprised by his decision? Yes. Yes, I was. Uh, I mean, there were a few surprises. Uh, the big one was, was Sebastian. Um, then there were choices made that I would have probably made different. Uh, but, you know, uh, I can I understand and, and it's been fun to watch. Um, obviously, yeah, uh, Carlos going to Ferrari, then there were good seats at McLaren, but then it was a nice opportunity for Ricardo. I mean, there's still one seat at Renault that could be attractive for the future. 
Um, but again, with the cost cap, we're hoping that more teams could be um, could be great. And um, I think Racing Point is is on a really good path from what we've seen in winter testing. And they were very competitive, and they seems to have done a great work with Mercedes. So you know, I think there, there will be some good teams to uh, to look for in the future. Uh, but yeah, the driver market has been interesting. As I said, there's few uh, seats left around. Um, but no, I think uh, everyone would take a little bit of time to to look at it. What about that Renault one for you? Because you have that link with Enstone. It goes back so long. Uh, you spent so much time with that team. Is that would that be a serious consideration for you? It, it would be a nice story. You know, I spent ten years at Enstone, and they um, they funded most of my career. Um, and then, obviously, the yeah, the last podium of Enstone is mine. So uh, you know, I think uh, I think it would be nice to uh, it'd be nice to go back there. Uh, but it would be also nice to stay at that. Has or to try another team, you know. Um, I mean, it's it's. We haven't even done a race, and we're already talking about okay. next year, which, which is a bit strange. But uh, also, we're getting into mid June, early July, which is the start of the silly season. So I don't know. I think you know. First, we go back racing. Uh, we see how the car behaves. I try to do my best. Try to see if my level is still where I want it to be, and then and then we're going to start discussing, chatting, and, and seeing what we can do. Yeah, you can blame that on the journalists. We've had nothing to write about for the start of the year, so we need to talk about something. So we talk about you guys and where you're um, Of course, this esports thing, team principal in your own esports team, is that something which you would consider in the real world going forward? Do, do you see yourself in a management position? Would you like to be part of F1 beyond being a driver? I don't know. I, I didn't. I don't know, honestly. I think it's. I'm having a really good time managing that esports team, and and it's great fun. And I've got a really good relationship with the drivers. And I created it to try to give the opportunity to youngsters to bridge, to, to create a bridge between virtual and reality. We've got Praga Karts as a sponsor and they're offering go-karts to the drivers. And then the drivers can come to an official testing. And if they're good enough, then Praga enters them into the world championship for one event, uh, which would be wonderful. And then, you know, if we can find the next talents via sim racing, because it's so much, so expensive to go racing nowadays, it'd be amazing. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been great fun. Do I want to do it in real life? I don't know. I mean, it's it's a lot of hard work. Uh, some friends are, are doing it. Um, Alexandre Prema is doing it in the US, and uh, I think is is really enjoying it. But also, in virtual world, is a little bit less financial risk. Let's put it that way. And I remember you once telling me that you nearly considered becoming a chef in that first break between. F1 in your first career at Renault and then when you came back so hey I mean you could go and work in a Paris restaurant maybe set up something there well I, I, yeah I don't know you know that, that things went a little bit away um, it's uh, I mean I've been busy with three kids at home but if there's an opportunity one day um, I will I will definitely look at look at it and try to do it and, and see if I can yeah uh, if I can find something okay Roman. well I look forward to finding out what uh, the future holds and seeing you on the track hopefully very very soon so Thank you so much for your time and uh, hopefully speak again at a racetrack very soon. All right, that was Lawrence Edmondson having a chat with Haas driver Roman Grosjean. So just one of the characters we expect to see in action very soon. So guys, thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to tune into next week's podcast because that will be our final podcast before we finally have racing again. We are super excited. If you can't pick it up from my voice, we'll get excited. And we hope you guys tune in next week. We'll see you then. Bye for now.